So here we learn about Paul's time in Corinth. Now, Corinth was an interesting place, and not somewhere you might have thought would be a good place for the gospel to spread. Let me let me give you an idea. Corinth was the red light district of the ancient world. A city where sexual ethics were almost non-existent. It was situated close to two ports. So there were plenty of boats coming and going, so plenty of sailors coming and going. And we all know that where there are sailors, there's a demand for a certain industry. I don't know why I'm being delicate, because there's nothing delicate about it. The Greek comic playwright Aristophanes coined the verb Corinthiazestai to fornicate. In 1 Corinthians, which is a letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church a bit later on, he listed the lifestyle, the typical lifestyle in Corinth, filled with pornography, idolatry, homosexuality, stealing, drunkenness, swindling and sexual sin of every kind. Corinth was home also to a Greek temple to Aphrodite, the goddess of love and sexuality, where there's a theory that there were sex slaves whose job it was, was to be available for sex as an act of worship to Aphrodite. And later on, when the church is established in Corinth, there is still sexual immorality within the church. They struggle to move on from from their past behaviour, even after they've been saved by grace. This is how saturated Corinth is with sex. In God's eyes, Corinth was a swirling mass of humanity, of prosperity, wickedness and idolatry. But also lost souls. And God used Paul to reach them. This story tells us nowhere is too dark or sin-filled for God to work. We are called to persevere in mission where God has placed us, in the knowledge that he is with us and will protect us. This passage tells us three things about mission. Firstly, we need to expect opposition. Secondly, we need to know that God is with us. And thirdly, we need to persevere in mission. So expect opposition, know that God is with us, persevere in mission. So firstly, expect opposition. As he usually did, Paul went to the synagogue first, where the Jews gathered to worship. He preached the gospel there, but he faced rejection and revulsion, so he moved on. He shook out his clothes and said, your blood be on your own heads. Now, what's this blood thing about? Here, Paul is referencing that um, there is a consequence for rejecting the gospel, and that is the judgment of, of God. And that is a serious consequence. By preaching the gospel to them, he makes himself innocent of it in the face of their judgment. We are called to preach the gospel regardless of the results. But when the result is rejection, Paul's action here tells us that we can move on. When you've put the gospel before someone and they want nothing to do with it, they reject it, you can change your focus 
you might think this is giving up on them but we're human and if we're doing mission in a relational and deep way we only have so much capacity for mission so if there are other people in our lives who don't know the gospel yet is it not more loving to turn to them with the gospel they might be more willing in hearing it like the Jews of Berea were a couple of chapters ago in Acts but we don't give up entirely on, on, the, on the people that we've t- taught the gospel to we can still pray for the people and places who have rejected us God works in amazing ways that we do not understand it might be sometime in the future something happens that causes that person to think back on the gospel but even where we do find rejection God still works and we see this here that the ruler of the synagogue the ruler of the synagogue that rejected and and despised and and insulted Paul he is saved and his whole household is saved hold the phone that, that's amazing what, a, what an amazing thing and yet Luke just slips it in casually not a big deal it is a massive deal and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptised it's easy to gloss over that sentence but let's just pause and consider what this means you might have thought that in a city as wicked as Corinth the Jews would be more likely to receive the gospel the Jews who believed the God of Israel who had some sort of moral compass but no, they reject it and it's the wicked Corinthians who repent and are baptised how upside down is that? imagine walking to a pub full of United fans and City fans at the beginning of a season and saying I have this crystal ball and I'm telling you United are going to win the treble and imagine if the United fans reject you and insult you now given previous form maybe this isn't so so outlandish but you, you get the idea if it's the City fans who, who, who welcome you that would be crazy and yet this is how God is working in Corinth in the most unexpected morally corrupt context where even the Jews rejected the gospel the gospel was still unstoppable how easy might it have been after leaving that synagogue for Paul to think if even the Jews reject me here what hope is there for the non-Jewish population now this doesn't just mean that there is no place too dark for the gospel it means there's no person too dark for the gospel Maybe you're not a Christian listening to this. It's great that you're listening. We love having you. Maybe there are things in your past that you have done which make you think you're unworthy of the gospel. You might think that God sounds great, but if he knew the things I did, he wouldn't love me. In a place like Corinth, I can guarantee you there would have been plenty of people in exactly opposition. Corinth was especially wicked. It was the worst corner of the red light district, times by a whole city. 
and yet many of them believed and were baptized. They heard the gospel, that is, that Jesus died a horrible, excruciating, humiliating death to take the punishment for their sins and then resurrected so that they could have, and then came back to life so that they could have new life in him. They believed and baptized, were baptized. It could be you. It could be you as well. If you want to know more about starting this journey, or even if you want to start believing now, we'd love to hear from you. If you go to our website, redeemermcr.com slash live, there's a link to a, an online connect card there. We'd, we'd love to hear from you. And to the Christians and members of Redeemer here, what about Charlton? Do we think Charlton is too dark for the gospel? Too much of a hotspot of alternative spirituality and liberal atheism? Two years ago, one of the headline acts of the um, Charlton Arts Festival was um, a stage production, a stage adaptation of uh, The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins. And one of the nights they got Richard Dawkins to come along and sign the books afterwards. Um, and out of curiosity, I guess, Greg and I went along. Um, and the queue for the, for the book signing afterwards, it was long. It was, it was from the little foyer in the high school, it was in Charlton High School, all the way back into the theatre. It might have been easy for Greg and I to think, mm, nah, Charlton, too much of a hotspot of atheism. Too hardened, too post-Christian. And by the way, Richard Dawkins isn't, isn't beyond saving either. Because Paul was even worse than Richard Dawkins. Because he, Paul rounded up Christians to be killed before his conversion. But Redeemer rolled on. And now we're heavily involved in the Charlton Arts Festival. We're serving Charlton through the same channel that used to be a channel for promoting atheism. But if we preach the gospel in Charlton, we will face opposition. There's no doubt about that. That theatre was packed to see the God delusion. The, the philosophy of Charlton is secular, even anti-religious. Whilst following Jesus in this country is legal, and we don't expect to be taken to a legal court like Paul was here, there's another court that we, Redeemer Church, could be taken to. And it's, it's got no impartial judge. It's a wild, wild west. No laws, no rules. A free-for-all of opinions, accusations, name-calling. And it's called social media. As many of you will know, Cholton has a Facebook group for Charlton residents and I counted them last night um, last week and there were 36 oh I didn't count them I looked at the info page there were 36,383 posts on this group get hundreds of likes dislikes comments a lot of it is a request for recommendation for plumbers and appeals about lost cats it's a perfect window into what Charlton thinks on a range of issues veganism Brexit at the moment, Black Lives Matter, and also religion. And it's, it's clear that Charlton is, the Charlton philosophy is anti-religious. If something Redeemer did made its way onto that group, 
um, and, and someone who is unsympathetic to Christianity posts something um, about Redeemer, I have no doubt that it could have a big impact on our reputation. But God will be with us through that if it happens. And God will work through it. Of course, we do things, we try and do things so that that doesn't happen. But God will be with us if it does. Secondly, we are to know that God is with you, that God is with us. In the wake of this rejection of the gospel and Paul's relocation and changing focus, he receives a vision from God telling him God is with him and will protect him and commanding him not to stay silent and to persevere in preaching the gospel. This is an amazing promise that we will dwell on shortly, but it tells us something else. Paul needed reassurance. It's easy to maybe think that Paul's some uber level, on a totally different level evangelist who doesn't need any reassurance. He's, he has no fear. But here we, we see that he does need reassurance. Before he arrived in Corinth, he was afraid. In, in the letter to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians later on, he, he says, I, I, I had fear and trembling. Those were his words. Paul was just like us. Paul was ordinary. He had doubts and misgivings. He made tents for a living. I don't think anyone... Uh, Redeemer makes tents, but we all have a trade, a profession, and we all need reassurance and mission. And here it is. And it's the punchline of the whole passage, so I'll read it again. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. God promises Paul protection from harm in the capital of wickedness. And this vision makes a difference. Verse 11. So Paul stayed in Corinth a year and a half. That word so, it's a tiny little conjunction, but it's got a huge meaning here. Because it displays Paul's obedience and trust in the Lord. We all know so is just another word for therefore. So what we need to understand from this is this. Because of this vision, this reassurance, despite his fear and trembling on entering Corinth, Paul has the confidence to stay for a year and a half, at least, preaching the gospel. That might not sound like a long time, but in the context of his missionary journeys, that's quite a long time. Only in one place did he stay longer. So so what about us? Do we do anything with this promise in our lives? How does it make a difference that we know that God is with us as we do mission? It should give us confidence. It should give us joy that God, the God who can bring light to a place as dark as Corinth, is with us as we bring light to Cholton. And God comes through on the promise of protection to Paul. The Jews that rejected him took him to the Roman court, the Roman governor, accusing him of breaking the law 
by urging people to make Jesus their Lord. If this accusation was upheld, he could have been imprisoned. Although we've seen earlier in Acts that being imprisoned doesn't stop the gospel. But this was an open and shut case. The governor Gallio, who was the judge, threw it out even before Paul could defend himself. In Gallio's eyes, it was an internal dispute which he wasn't interested in getting involved in. This judgment was one of great significance. As judgments in Roman courts, like in modern legal systems, they're used as precedents for future cases. So had this gone the other way, it could have hampered the spread of Christianity, the spread of the gospel, quite a lot. But it didn't, and it acted as a statement that Rome was uninterested in getting involved. But what we see next, that this poor guy Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, was beaten up, tells us two things. Firstly, although Rome wasn't interested in getting involved, they weren't going to defend Christianity either. Gallio ignored it. And it also underlines again how wicked a place Corinth was. These were non-believing Corinthians who used, used the fact that he was sending the Jews away as an excuse to beat one of them up. The city w- was full of people who hated the Jews. Opposition to the gospel was organised and high profile. Paul was taken to the equivalent of the local crown court and God delivered him from what could have been a serious judgment and an angry mob. And God wasn't just with him before Gallio, he was with him when he met Aquila and Priscilla, two believers who had to flee Rome on the order of Claudius. Not for the first time in Acts, God uses persecution to further his gospel. Paul hadn't met them before, they were strangers, but because they were believers and they had the same trade, they opened up their home to him. It's clear that the Spirit was directing the events here. And when Silas and Timothy arrived, probably bringing a financial contribution from Macedonia, from the church in Macedonia, enabling Paul to devote himself solely to preaching, and Titus opening up his home to host Paul's teaching, there's another application here. God is directing the events and is with us, but we are to be with each other. Here are Christians working together from as far away as Macedonia to see the gospel proclaimed in Corinth. And we should be working together to see the gospel proclaimed in Charlton. This is a powerful demonstration of unity among believers producing amazing results. God promises he will not come to harm for he has many people in this city. It is in part through each other that God is with us. So, Christian brothers and sisters, we should remember at all times in our mission that the God who has moved so powerfully in Corinth, who turned the expectations upside down as to which group would receive and believe the gospel, is with us. We're not to be afraid. We are not to stay silent. We're not to stay silent. That's a challenging command. One that should lead us to think about areas in our lives in which we do in which we are silent on the gospel. And this doesn't just mean on not declaring the gospel. We can be silent on the gospel by our words and actions in other areas, by how we respond to coarse joking in the office, by how we act towards someone in need, by how we act when others around us are living hedonistic and materialistic lives. 
Do we take part? Or do we stand firm in our beliefs and be different? But God is with us in this and it's by the Spirit's power that we don't stay silent. Finally, Paul does leave Corinth and heads back to Antioch. And there's this detail about him shaving his head because he had taken a vow. This probably relates to a form of vow taken by the early Jews in the Old Testament, which was specifically a sign of thanksgiving for deliverance from danger. The early church was known to practice this, and Paul possibly did this in thanksgiving for the fulfilment of the promise that we see in verse 10. Now, I'm not saying we all need to shave our heads, um, although in lockdown, maybe that's been the only option. Um, But this tells us that thanksgiving is an important part of the missionary life. We should thank God actively for the ways he has already moved in Chalton, as we did a few weeks ago when we celebrated Redeemer's second birthday. During his brief stay in Ephesus, he again speaks the gospel in the synagogue. This time, the Jews appear to receive him slightly better than in Corinth, as they ask him to stay. He declines, but promises to come back if God wills. A little bit of context here. We think he was trying to get back to Jerusalem for the, for the Passover Jewish festival. And the seas were about to close for navigation in March, and the Passover was in April. So although on first reading it might seem like Paul is, is suddenly not wanting to preach the gospel here, Um, There was a reason, and he promised to return if God willed. And God did will it, because we learn about it in Acts 19. Here we see someone who is trusting in the will of God in mission. And we can apply this to ourselves. We need to trust in God's will for our mission. And this, along with the promise that he is with us, brings me to my final point. We need to persevere in mission. As Christians, this passage is a call to persevere in mission. Twice it puts a time frame on how long Paul stayed in Corinth. In verse 11, one and a half years. Then later, later it again, it says he stayed for some time in verse 16. As I said before, the context of Paul's missionary journeys, this is a long time. So not only are we to show perseverance, but also patience. We don't really get a lot of detail about Paul's stay in Corinth. We just get the highlights. In that long period of time, it's, it's, it's maybe likely there were slow patches. In our context, a post-Christian sceptical context, it may take years before we make any real traction. At Redeemer, we have a goal of having 1% of people in Jordan attending a gospel teaching church. That might take 10 years. It might take 20, but God willing, we will be here for as long as it takes. And in the two years we have been here, there's been no doubt that God has been working. As we celebrated a couple of weeks ago. So our patience and perseverance is being rewarded. But make no mistake, perseverance is difficult. But just as Paul used God's reassurance to persevere in Corinth, We should do the same. Every time we see an opportunity to reach out to someone with the good news of the gospel, we should remember that God is with us. Every time we refuse to join in gossip in the office, we should remember 
that God is with us. Every time we offer to pray for a non-Christian, we should remember God is with us. God's presence should be the fuel for our perseverance. And a sure knowledge that God works wherever we proclaim him should be the reason for our patience. Not everyone we share the gospel with will become a Christian. But perseverance and mission will result in God moving in amazing ways. And what an honour it is to be used by God. Do you delight in mission because of this? Or is mission just another Christian thing that you do? And seeing God work in such an unlikely place as Corinth should lead us to ask another hard question. Are there people in our lives who we think are too sinful, too far gone for the gospel? Paul's stay in Corinth shows us that these people do not exist. And that God can work powerfully in anyone, no matter what their past. And in fact, we as saved sinners ourselves are in no place to judge someone unworthy of hearing the gospel. Now I need to make a distinction here between people who have heard the gospel and rejected it, like those in the synagogue in Corinth, and those we, are, we think are too sinful and far from God to be saved. The first group of people, we continue to pray for them, that the seed of the gospel planted now might grow, maybe without our knowledge, in the future. To the second group, we tell them the gospel in a loving and compassionate and relational way. It could take time, because God is looking for them, like the shepherd looks for a lost sheep. And as a Christian in their life, he's possibly, I would say probably, using you to look for them. Be in no doubt, though, that it is God who will bring them to faith and not us. Our job is to put the gospel before them in a loving and relational way. In this passage, God says to Paul, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And he's saying the same thing to us. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And if you don't call yourself a Christian, let me say again, if God can move in the hearts of the people in Corinth, no matter what your past, he can move in you. He's looking for you, actually. Maybe today is the day you accept that invitation. Let me pray.